Good morning, church. This morning, tough text, so I'm just going to jump right in. But actually, I'm going to jump back two verses and read that. So Romans 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of this gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. I'm not ashamed. Not only is he not ashamed, he's proud of this gospel, the power of God at work for salvation. This is the whole world. This is the, in the Jewish mindset. There's the Jew and everybody else. This is the gospel of God, the euangelion of God. Anyway, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is account accomplished from the start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that the righteous person has life. That's right. Through faith, but the righteous person have life. That's it, Romans. Um, the righteous through faith shall have life um, is the way that Paul wrote this. However, in Habakkuk, another way, the, the person who is righteous, first off, who, the person who is righteous shall live by, faith, by their faithfulness. So not a one-time only decision or the faithful living of the righteous have life. Okay, here's today's text. But God shows his wrath from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. Instead, they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols and made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So they, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile things and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And they, so they worshiped and served things God created instead of the creator who is worthy of eternal praise. There's the text. Three things in the text. First, first, God, the wrath of God is revealed. The wrath of God is revealed or shown from heaven. It's coming from heaven. It's shown. It's talked about. It's, it's, uh, undeniable. Number two, God can be perceived and therefore known about himself. Okay. And three, by not coming to him, we become active suppressors of the truth as he abandons us to that. So let's go in that reverse order. Remember there's the wrath of God. God can be perceived and then known. And then by not coming to him, we become active suppressors. The third thing, active suppressors, willingly suppress culpably denying as Lord. I like to think of God as is idolatry. Just ever. 
no matter what we think of God, whatever our thoughts are of God, as Augustine would say, that totality of what we think, that thought is not God. That's a thought. God is bigger than that. He's different than that. We have not perceived him correctly. But to think of that as God and worship the totality, that as if it were the whole, or the totality of God is but something less, we hold on to that and thus exchange the truth of God for a lie. And 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 that's the verse here. So so they traded up. So this is Romans 121, all in a nutshell here. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas, right? I like to think of God as this what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. We led ourselves astray. We were culpable in the situation, actively then um, suppressing or, or just sort of self-justifying and then building that into ourselves that way. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people. We, we thought God was like us instead of him putting his attributes onto us so that we could live up, we brought him down, or even more to birds, animals, and reptiles. And so God abandoned them to do whatever things our hearts desired, right? That's, that's what happens. We stop worshiping God. We stop doing that, and we exchange the image of him, and it is the source of every single thing going on. That's number one. Because we didn't turn to God, we knew a little bit. Okay, so then number two, God can be perceived as by the world, and so we're accountable to him, not just to see what's in the thing as, as uh, many ancient or, or, or Middle Ages or even Enlightenment era um, theologians would say that God's invisible qualities in the way things are made, the majesty of the way the created order is, and all of that leads us to see that there is clearly a creator and that we can, and that we should seek after him. But we're not just accountable to him for what we could have seen when we saw it. We, we are accountable to see him and then seek after knowledge about him. So the generally reveal his excellent qualities, that is one of those thoughts. Here's the other thing about it. Many people who don't know anything about God's laws specifically obey them and do right things even if they haven't known why they did it. You know, they don't run over people in the streets and we don't do all sorts of those things. Even if we deny God in our life, we are a law unto ourselves to show that the God's laws and the way that he built the universe is built within us. And so we are accountable. The world shows us who God is and our lives show us that God is there and we are accountable to him. So remember, number three is by not coming to him and not being accountable, we become suppressors of the truth. Number two, God can be perceived. And so therefore, his qualities lead us into a knowledge of him or into an active seeking of knowledge about him rather than our own decisions. And number three, 
or the first one, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. What about this wrath of God? Now remember, at this point of the letter, God is building his case about um, the problem of our past, if you will, that, that we all have a past. And so I've found it sort of helpful when um, we sort of ask some questions about this. So what is it about the wrath of God? So one, the first question I have today is, is it personal? Is the wrath of God a personal thing of God? Or is it just a force that he has built into the universe to sort of actively um, work against the things that we do as bad? This is an idea expressed in many people, right? That, that when good things happen to good people, that's the system of the universe working. But, but the system built into the universe is all of this stuff. This is um, a German theologian, Reichel. Anyway, he, he would say that bad things happen to bad people and the universe is just this impersonal force acting out against the sin and the breaking that God just designed it that way. Now, I find this personally, it just flows out of the God as the ab absentee watchmaker, right? He built the universe in a certain way and he's kind of letting it go on its own. I find that wrong, deeply wrong. Now, let me say this this other way. Is, is the mind of God at work in the revelation of society, of the universe and all that so that it does it resist does does it sooner or later come around and go around if you act these ways yes i think it does sort of generally but i i think that we can say yes to that but but we should not in any way uh put asunder the personalness of God, that there is no impersonal action in the universe from God's point of view or from ours, right? Even when things happen to us on the road, we think, why did that happen to me? We don't think that it just sort of happened, right? Why, why did that pothole happen to me? Why did it get in my way? See, we personalize everything. It's wrong for us to think that God doesn't do it. So let's not put aside asunder what God has joined together, namely the workings of the universe and the mind and purpose of the creator. Let's not separate those two. That, that yes, there is some, so the action is, is the wrath of God personal or a force? The answer is yes, it's both. It is personal to God and it is a fourth force. The wrath of God is both a feeling of him, from him, and an action. Question two, is the wrath of God present or future? So the first one is, is it just a force? Is it impersonal? And, or, is it, or is God and his mind and, and plan actively visible in the process? Yes, there. Now this one, is it present or future? Well, I think we just, I think we clearly know that the universe 
um, when there are certain behaviors and, and as we go on into this idolatry being the root of almost every single behavior, but if you do idolatry, then the wrath of God is revealed somewhere, some way along the line. I think so. Yes, the wrath of God against sin, the active resistance that God's character requires him as a holy God and a just God to resist sin is present and revealed now in response to some actions or current um, current behaviors. But the Bible is very clear that there is a great day of the Lord where real judgment will be expressed at a level we have not yet experienced. So is the wrath of God present or future? Yes, it is present, but not complete. Not complete at the moment, okay? Third, so remember, is it personal or a force? Yes, it is God's personal anger, and it is built, and the mind of God is built into the universe. It is both going on now, and judgment is coming, and right soon. Okay, number three, here's the big one. This is the big one of our day. Is the wrath of God against the sinner or the sin? Well, it's a very sentimental thought that also spawned the love the sinner hate the sin comment, a practice that has never worked in reality. Instead, our practice is to love should be to love that person, and chapter two of Romans will deal with the person who thinks that being able to identify or call out sin is a virtue, we simply have no grounds to judge the sin. And so is the wrath of God against the sinner or the sin? We don't get to ju- get to speak into that at all, but rather it is wrong for us and and for us going to astray to play god to judge this judge the difference it's simply a false dichotomy there is no biblical warrant for separating the sinner from the sin sin is a thought that is hatched in the life of a person thoughts that we think on long enough become actions Actions acted upon off enough become habits. Habits gather together into a character, and our character reaps a destiny or pays off a destiny. God, therefore, sent the gospel, that is Jesus as Savior, to rescue us from this situation. God has sent the gospel that we're not ashamed of, remember, into the world to convict the consciences of people as to their need for a Savior and so that they would repent. A sinner identifies with an act and establishes a character that, regardless of how small the sin is, takes root in their lives and causes them to self-justify and thus suppress the witness of God in their life. As soon as we start self-justifying, we're going completely the opposite direction of what God does. God does not let us self-justify. The biblical message then is that God hates the sin and actively opposes those who 
or each of us until we repent. Calvin said he loved us even while he hated us. No act of faith then, because of this situation, no act of faith is devoid of repentance. Because turning to God is faith, turning from sin is repentance. Those are the same thing spoken about from a different action. Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord in the same way that turning to God in faith is turning from sin and repentance. It's not one or the other. You have to have both and they happen because that's the way that God works. If you've heard somebody witness that they accepted Jesus years ago without repentance, then we should actually just praise God for how gracious he's been because that person to call him Savior without calling him Lord is to insult God greatly. So remember, we're in this spot where what we're talking about is the wrath of God personal or just a force? Yes. Is the wrath of God present now? And, and is it going to come in the future? Yes. Is, is the wrath of God against the sinner and the sin? Yes, because they're not separatable. In some ways, it's like we could convict the gun, but the person that pulled the trigger got away with it. No, we don't do that. It's a false dichotomy to blame the weapon without blaming the doer is a problem. It's why, um, it's why banning alcohol didn't work. It didn't keep people from doing it because the alcohol isn't the problem the heart of the human is. Okay, the fourth question. Is the wrath of God ultimate or penultimate? Ultimate as in as it the last thing is the great day of the Lord, the last, the sort of seal on the moment, or the penultimate, the second to last, everything but then, and then sooner or later, God will empty the hell, and sooner or later just everybody gets to heaven. By the way, this is also just a lovely sort of sentiment without any biblical grounding. If, if we want every, I want everyone to be saved, and I think God will, in effect, avoid the penalty without the repentance of faith clause. In other words, God's just going to wave his wand and everybody's going to be a citizen of heaven without becoming a naturalized citizen. They're just, we're just going to do that. By the way, that's what's going on here. That's what's going Revelation is God's word and God's leading us into it. So the, what's going on here is repentance and faith comes from revelation. Revelation is not just the Bible. God didn't just reveal the Bible and put it on the thing. He was also there to help us understand it. And so he put those two things together. And literally, as Romans 2 will soon talk about judicial hardening, even Romans 1 will talk about how God lets us have our head. He essentially treats us the way that we treat him. If we turn to him and call him Lord, then he is our Lord. If we turn to him and call him Lord and Savior, then he is our Lord and Savior. That is just the way it is. But if we turn to him and or turn away from him and say, I don't want any part of it, he will let us do that. That is what the revelation of the Bible is. God lets us choose our own fate. Uh, 
choose our own reward for our work, so to speak? Do we want a God as he is or a God as we are? Our whole history then of, of idolatry or just thinking of him as like, like us leads us into these thoughts as we sort of convict and indict God, indict and convict God of treating people wrongly because we want ourselves to get away with it. And so we start thinking of ways that we can be mad at God for being the Lord of the universe and not making us the Lord of the universe. That's idolatry, the root of all the problems. And every time throughout the thing, as, as we get mad that, but what about these people? They should have got, what, what was God doing there? What was God doing there? All the whole time, he is not at all fooled. All of that thought is always, always, always about what can I get away with not what did God do? And so throughout this time, we suppress his will by denying his lordship or denying some character of his. The three things, the wrath of God, active, personal, now and in the future, that does not separate the sin from the sinner because there is no separation there. It is this whole thing is, it's the end result. In the end, he is just. Number two, God can be perceived and known about. And number three, by not coming to him, we become active suppressors of the truth. What should we do? To quote them in Acts number two, oh no, we've killed Jesus. We actively resisted God's will in our life. What should we do, brothers? Tell us what we should do. Should we wait for the day of the Lord? Should we just wait it out and sort of choose not to decide until the very end and then not having chosen to decide, we decided not to decide? No, we should repent, turn to the Lord, settle out of court, if you will, and live. The righteous shall live by faith because we are not ashamed of the gospel that rescued us. It is the power of God unto salvation for us. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the hard messages that we might learn that, that, that you actively know what's in our heart and you know the wickedness that rules us when we are not facing and not worshiping you and not letting you be the Lord. Lord, move in us and point out our wicked ways so that we might actively repent, turn to you, turn away from sin, and become your people and live by faith as the righteous do. In your precious name, amen.